Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for laughter and we thank you for fun and we thank you for adoption. That you adopted us a very wayward children, addicted to self and sin. You adopted us into your family and you celebrate our birthdays. You call it being born again. And so, Lord, my prayer is, is that those who don't know this wonderful adoption would know it today. And those who do know this adoption would rejoice in it above all of their circumstances, knowing that they're the kids of a king. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see your word. Help us to rejoice in your truth and celebrate your life. The life that you give in Christ Jesus. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, I've gotten into so many arguments with my wife, not because of anything that I was right about, but because I had something underlying that argument that I was sort of living out of. All of us have this thing that helps to make our decisions. We think when we make decisions, that we make decisions based upon the facts, the circumstances that surround us. But this is not true. There are motivations inside of us that make decisions for us. Have you ever done this? I've done this. Where you sort of like sit back. Have you ever had like a reflective moment? Sometimes it happens, right? You hit a birthdays, you'll do this. Uh, milestones, you'll do this, where, where you look at the rearview mirror of your life and you think to yourself, what on earth was I thinking? <laughs> Have you ever done this? I've done this. I do this. I did this like two days ago. What was I thinking? And you look, you reflect back on your life and you think to yourself, why was I so crazy to think that that guy was going to give me happiness or that girl was going to satisfy my needs or that job was going to give me everything I wanted or that thing. What was I thinking? I must have been crazy. No, you weren't crazy. What you are is what you did, though, was flowing out of a motivation. There, is mo there are motivations in our lives that really inform how we make decisions. Have you ever had a friend where you said, that was crazy, I don't understand why you're doing that. Matter of fact, you might have even thought that with your spouse or a boyfriend. You go, well, that's just crazy. That don't make no sense. That was insane. And you go, and you go I don't even know why you did that. Well, you can. The reason that they did that was because they have a motivation, a deeper motivation for doing things that are not expressed, but that are believed deep down inside. Think about this. There are people here who at one time in their lives said, drinking is bad for you. Like, not like bad, like, oh man, I don't, I don't want to drink because it's not good for my health. Like, will kill me. Drinking is killing me. And then the very same day that they had that thought, maybe even the same minute, they took a drink. What is that? There is an underlying motivation. 
There is relationships. There are relationships that you and I have. Relationships that make no godly sense. You go, why am I in this relationship with this person? You can't even answer that question for yourself. And yet, there you are. What is that? I want to submit to you that there are some motivations that make us make decisions and that if we don't address these motivations and change these motivations to a more pure, more beautiful, more truer motivation, that we replace the motivations that the world gives us with what Christ wants to give us, namely himself. That these motivations, not only do they exist, but Christ can transform them, change them, remove them. But before he changes them, transforms them, renews them, I want you to know what they are. I'm just going to point out four. Okay, there are probably more, but I just want to point out these first four. These are underlying. Are you tracking with me? There are underlying motivations for why you make the decisions that you do. Good decisions, bad decisions. Decisions that people think are crazy, the decisions that people think make perfect sense. There are motivations foundational reasons why we do what we do. Here, the first one I would give you is comfort. This is an underlying motivation, an underlying, it is at the bottom of why some of us do what we do. Think about this. You find a, a father. He has a kid. The kid's five years old. You say, hey, dad, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. Do you love your kid? Absolutely. I love my son. Think, you know, he's the apple of my eye. Would do anything for my kid. That's nice. Um, do you want to build a bond with him? Absolutely. I want to build a bond with him that we grow close together, that he comes to me when he has struggles and issues in his life. I want to create a relational relationship. Uh, 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 conversation that as he grows older, we're going to grow closer together, that he's not going to want to repel from me, but he's going to want to spend time with me. I'm going to make our relationship so strong by investing in him that he's going to feel free like to come to me over any situation in his life. That's a fantastic aspiration, dad. What are you going to do tonight? I'm going to go home and turn on the TV. No, 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 no. Dad, didn't you just say you wanted to build a relationship, create a bond, develop this kid, invest in this child? Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. What are you going to do tonight? I'm going to watch TV and sit on the couch. Okay. We just tripped over something. We tripped over the underlying reason you could believe all this stuff, but what makes you decide what you decide to do is, in this particular case, comfort. It's why you'll get into arguments. Uh, wives and husbands will. They'll be sitting and wife will say, you don't bring me flowers anymore. <laughs> and we don't go dancing and we don't do all this other stuff and, and, and all that stuff. And he goes, well, I love you and, and all that stuff. And there, there's an argument that ensues. Why? Because there's a comfort thing 
that's combating against this marriage thing. It's just easier. It's more comfortable. I live for my comfort. I would never say that out loud. You don't necessarily tell your spouse that. You don't tell your job that. You just go, oh, well, they don't pay me enough or something else. But it's the underlying thing. It's the motivation behind the decisions that you make. Some people, it's comfort. Other people, it's approval. Maybe there's one or two of you here. Yeah, maybe one. Yeah, like everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. Approval. It's, I am going to live for the accolades, for the words, for the, for the approval of others. For some of you, you just can't be happy unless you're listening to a Mark Anthony song. You just, you just, you just find no satisfaction unless Mark, no, okay, so everybody silence your phones. Okay. Approval. You live, you want to be loved and respected. You want people to say, boy, a girl. You want people to respect you. You want people to go, wow, that guy is really amazing. Wow, that girl is really great. You live for people's approval. Now, the problem is, is that when you live for people's approval, when they don't give you the approval, you just created an enemy. Isn't that true? So here's this person you love, and you live for their approval, but they don't give it to you. So now you're not going to speak to mom, and you're not going to speak to dad, and you're not going to speak to brother, and you're not going to speak to sister, and you're not going to speak to husband or wife. Because you live for their approval, and they didn't give you what you ultimately wanted. See, you didn't want to serve them. That wasn't the thing that motivated you. You didn't want to do good for them. That wasn't the thing. It wasn't their best that motivated you. What motivated you was that they would approve you. And when you did not get this approval, they became your enemy. Some people, it's comfort. Some people, it's approval. Others, it's control. Nobody here. Um, But let me just speak for the people who are on the podcast who uh, could use this. Life for the person who lives for control has meaning only if they have mastery over this area of their life. So the dad, he has to control the family unit. And, And there are reasons why we become sort of control freaks. Some of us grew up in an unbelievably chaotic homes. And so I'm never going to be molested again. I'm never going to be physically abused. I'm never going to be spiritually abused. I'm never going to be verbally abused. I'm never going to be abused again. So we, we go through great lengths to try to control the things around us. And so we will be happy, be happy to manipulate, to lie, to... Um, have friends that we say, hey, Johnny, don't tell Susie. And then we go, hey, Susie, don't tell Johnny. And we, we do this play people. And you go, I don't know why I keep on playing friends against one another. You know, here, here's a clue phone's ringing. Clue phone's ringing. Look, look, look. It's because you want to be in control. 
Some people, it's comfort. Other people, it's approval. Other people, it's control. Other people, it's power. They want to be able to have influence over others. They want their names to ring bells. They want their, their, their fame to be lifted high. But those are four very basic motivations that we have for making the decisions that we make. Now the problem is, is that when we come to Christ, we come with this stuff. When we come to Christ, we don't leave that stuff behind, we bring it with us. So the person who's, uh, who's consumed by comfort, that person, they just come and they go, well, I feel comfortable and I go to this church and I'm not asked to do anything and I just sit down and I receive and they're just comfortable and God loves me and I don't have to be legalistic and run around. Now, the person who looks for approval does the exact opposite. Goes, he tries to sign up for every single ministry, tries to get people to say, boy, way to go, good job. That's, that's the effort of the person who's looking for approval. And if you come to church looking for approval, oh my goodness, will you be able to find a wealth of opportunities to find that approval in different ministries to serve? Because there's so many ministry opportunities, opportunities to be had. Others, it's control. And what you do is when you come to the church, it's the very reason. So here's what happens, right? Your relationship is falling apart. And I'm not talking, I, I, I can't tell you how many people go, oh man, did you tell them what we were talking? I was like, no, you're not the only person I talk to. It's like everyone here. I, just last week, we had a person leave early, like who'd been here the first time. And it wasn't because I was just bad. I understand that. And, but they left. They left because they felt like I was talking about them. And I go, well, yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That as you preach God's word, the Holy Spirit will make it feel like it. Well, so I say all that because of the example I'm going to use is like 95% of you, right? So, <laughs> so here's the deal. What happens is, is that you come, to, you come to church and the problem, listen, the only reason you came to church, the problem is because she's really messed up or he's really, really messed up. You don't have a problem. You know what? But, 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 but they, they, woo, child, they have a problem. And so what we do is we realize that our old ability to control the situation is gone. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask Jesus if he will help us to control that or them or it or you get what I'm saying. And so we come and that doesn't mean that Jesus can't meet you here. Like if you came to control and all that other stuff and that's great, 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 great. I'm glad you're here. But you, you're using Jesus to get to your God. You want God to give you your God. And that's why, that's why you'll hear this from a ton of people. Well, I came to church. I wanted God to fix my marriage, and he didn't fix it, so I left. I get it. I get it. You see, you wanted God to help you in your self-centered focus of controlling your situation. And God didn't play along. And so now... You leave. I get it. Others, it's power. We come into church, and what we do is we try to use scriptures, and we try to use Christian lingo, and we try to use manipulation in order to control groups of people. It's a terrible thing. But these are the underlying motivations 
that make us make decisions. Today, Jesus is going to speak to our issues, our the stuff that's under the stuff. It's not the drinking Jesus is going to talk us to, to us about. It's the stuff that motivates us to drink. It's not the eating that Jesus is going to talk to us about. It's the stuff that motivates us to eat. It's the stuff that's under the stuff, the thing behind the thing that motivates us to do the things that we do, to be labeled the things that we're labeled, to look for identity in things that we have no, no real business looking in identity for these things. Jesus is going to speak to us about these. And so it's a very, very familiar passage. And you've all heard it a dozen times. But we're going to try to look at it with fresh eyes and see if we can't see what is a better motivation other than these other things like control, approval, comfort, or power. Okay? So one of the, one of the uh, traditions we have is to stand while we read God's word. Wouldn't you stand? reason we do is because we really believe that God's word is something else. And so we're going to, we, we give honor to God's word. And so let's, we're going to read it together on a count of three. Are, are you ready? On a count of three. One, two, three. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the world that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is God's word. Have a seat. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is at the end of his great sermon. 5, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Jesus is teaching, and we've been in Jesus' sermon really all year. We've learned about prayer. We've learned about uh, how to view our finances, how to look at worry, how to, how to deal or be judgmental or not be judgmental. We looked at all these things, and at the end of the road, Jesus is, is saying, yes, we've talked about all these different things, but now I want to talk about the thing under the thing. I want to talk about your motivating factors. I want to talk about the stuff that informs your making decisions, because God wants us to have an underlying motivation for the decisions that we make. And let me give you the punchline before we go. Christ is to be the motivation. Christ is to be the desire. Christ is to be the point. Christ is to be the end result. It's Christ that's supposed to influence our decision making. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Now, you do understand that Jesus is not talking about a particular place with a particular door. That's not Jesus' point. Jesus is speaking about a spiritual truth that we all need to grab hold of. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. See, there's a way that we can live life 
There's a way that you and I could make decisions. There's a way that you and I could interact with people. That is what Jesus would call broad and wide. It's the way everybody does it. Oh, this is how you view sexuality? Don't worry. Everybody views it that way. Oh, this is how you view finances? That's fine. Everybody views it that way. This is how you view uh, your body and what you're going to do with it? Oh, don't worry, don't worry. Everybody views it that way. And so Jesus says, that way, there's a dime a dozen. There's a ton of people. This is the way you want to treat your wife? Everybody does it that way. This is how you're going to handle uh, yourself at work? Everybody does it that way. This is how you're going to close this business deal with a little wink-wink and perhaps leaving some things out or adding some things for effect. Don't worry. Everybody does it this way. And so Christians fall into these, into these pits. And Jesus is saying that way is broad, that way is wide, that way everybody's going. Everybody is going. But there's another way. He says, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. See, in another place, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That it's through Christ, resting in Christ, our motivation being Christ, our desire is for Christ, that everything that we do would be motivated by who Jesus is, not you, not motivated by what you want, you desire, not motivated about what makes you feel good or makes you comfortable. We even have language for the broad road. We go, well, God wants you to be happy because that's the broad road. See, what that does is that reinforces our old habits, our old patterns, our old way of dealing with things. I want to be happy. So I'm going to deal with life. I'm going to deal with circumstances. I'm going to make decisions based upon what will make me happy. But that won't bring fame to Christ. No, don't you get it? I'm going through the broad way. I'm going through the wide gate. I'm not interested in the narrow way. This is so prevalent that if you want to find unbelievably large ministries, not all of them, not all of them, but you'll find unbelievably large ministries. All you have to do is click on a channel and all they do is reinforce a little bit more self-centeredness than you had before you got to the service. That's what they do. It's like, do you want money? Is that your problem? You want money? God will give you money. You want health? Hey, listen, I'm not going to even bring up the fact that everyone dies, but you want health? God will give you health. You want, listen, you want happiness in all that you do? Don't worry. God will give you that. God is a, God is a cosmic genie. And his job is to give you everything you want. So it's possible to come to work and you're self-centered, uh, come to work. It's possible to come to a church and have your self-centeredness grow. It's possible to be a part of a Christian community and your self-centeredness to become magnified because you think God exists for you. 
and you've missed it. You, oh my, isn't this completely insane? You exist for his glory. God is not, listen, let me tell you something. God is for God. You go, oh man, I don't know if I like where this is going. No, really. God is all about, read the Bible. It's all about his glory. I do, he goes, he goes, I do this for my glory's sake. It's everywhere. And you go, oh, but wait, no, no, no. I don't want, I don't want to worship a God. If that means I worship a God for his glory, then I won't worship a God. Then you won't worship a God, will you? Because God is not here for your glory. God is here for his glory. And where he leads and where he guides you is for his glory. And where he guides, and listen to me, and that means when God says, no, 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 I don't want you to, I don't want you to have that, it's because it's for his glory. But you go, oh, but I really wanted that. Oh, that would have made me so happy. Oh, I would have really enjoyed that. And God goes, that's not really my goal. It's for my glory. True story. And by the way, you will, let me tell you, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That God gets great glory in us when we find our satisfaction, not in the stuff that we think is going to give us satisfaction, the money, the comfort, the power, the security, the prestige, the sex, the person, the relationship, the, the standing, the whatever. God is, listen to me, those things we pursue only to find them empty. And the older you are in this congregation, the faster you go, mm. Because you have a lot more years of experience of going, oh, wait. Oh, oh, yeah. I pursued him and didn't get the joy. I pursued that and didn't get the joy. I pursued it and didn't get the Listen to me. Listen to me. Broad. Everybody goes this way. Wide. Everybody goes this way. Narrow. Life. Thin. I was at a, uh, the monastery, like I told you earlier, and um, I, I was at this monastery, and, and they have these really, really beautiful rooms, and then they have the other rooms, right? <laughs> that it looks every bit of a monastic room. Like, there's, like, enough for a little twin bed, and there's barely enough room for you to stand, and there's a little table. It's got four little legs, and you just sit, and that's, that's it. That's, right? And then they have these other rooms, with the couch, I can tell you, the, the one room I wanted was St. Benedict, right? St. Benedict, that's the name of the room, right? And I just, I just started, man, I, I want some St. Benedict. I, I started, I walked around, I literally got out of my room, I said, I don't like this room at all. I started to walk around, I said, I know there's another room in here, and I'm going to find, right? So I started to walk around, because I do this all the time. I don't want to live for God's glory. I don't want to live for God's fame. I don't want a room that's going to give me less of an opportunity to focus on myself. I want a room that's going to give me more opportunity to focus on myself. I want comfort. I want the room with the couch and the trip, you know, the queen size bed with the view of the river. And that, that's the room that I want, right? And so I go around, I find St. Benedict. I said, oh, you know, went downstairs. I said, hey, do you guys have... 
another room, perhaps? And I was like, oh, can I have this room? And they were like, no, we can't give you that room. I was like, you sure? Give you a little money on the side? No, I didn't do that. But um, uh, the, here's the thing. So they gave me a different room, which was worse than the room that I had. Um, they said, oh, all right. So I lost the view and all this other stuff. And I was sitting there. And I was like, I don't like, give me St. Benedict. I want St. Benedict. So now I'm in St. Helen, right? And St. Helen, man, she must have not been a great saint because <laughs> I tell you, the room that they named after her is not all that. And so I, I sat there and God just started to speak and, and God started to speak to my heart. And it was an amazing experience just being in a room with no other distractions, no phones, no computers, no no Facebook, no nothing, and just to be in that room. But I tell you, I, in the middle of the second day, since there was like nobody in the room because the people hadn't come in yet who reserved that room or whatever, so I said, you know what? They're not here. I'm going to take my book. I was reading a book, right? And so I, I said, I'm walking over to St. Benedict. And so I sat, and St. Benedict had this beautiful wooden desk, gorgeous wooden desk. And I sat down in St. Benedict's desk, and I went to move in, and my knees hit the uh, thing. The chair was too high, or the table was too low for the chair. And I said, isn't that always the way? <laughs> the thing that you think will bring you happiness always has something that will, that will not satisfy you. Because whenever we look to the things of this world to satisfy us, there's always something that we don't find satisfaction in. Listen to me, listen to me. That's why God says, don't focus on the room with the view because the tables are small. They'll hit your knees, you'll feel uncomfortable. You think that I've given you, you think that I've cheated you. You think that I've given you less than what you deserve. What I've given you is an opportunity to reflect and enjoy me, which will never run out, which will never grow old, which will never exhaust itself. God says that the Broadway is filled with St. Benedict's. The Broadway is filled with rooms that you look, that look good from the outside looking in and then you get there and they're not practically efficient. But the narrow road, the one that leads to life, it's Christ and few find it. Few. Because they're busy. They're busy. I want control. No, if I come to Jesus, I'm going to have to give up my control. Mm-hmm. But if I come to Jesus, I'm going to have to give up my comfort. Mm -hmm. If I come to Jesus, I'm going to have to give up my... Listen to me. Imagine. Imagine. You live for comfort. And you come to Jesus and you go, you know what? I'm not going to live for my comfort. There'll be plenty of that in heaven. I'm going to live to love others in the name of Christ. So that five-year-old boy gets my love and affection. That five-year-old, my wife gets that kind of attention. Why? Because I'm not looking towards my comfort. My comfort, thank God, will be in heaven. And I'll have all the comfort that I'll ever need for eternity. Oh. If you live for approval, and I go, well, you know what? I'm not going to live for approval. I'm going to serve others selflessly. And they're going to approve of me, or they're not going to approve of me. They're going to like me, or they're not going to like me. But either way, my beauty and my approval is found not in whether my wife says, wow, you're awesome, but in what 
God says about me. And God says, I love you enough to send my son and die for you. That's a pretty fantastic love. So when I feel discouraged and the whole world turns against me and everybody stops writing me, you know, nice letters and everybody starts talking behind my back, I can go, but God, you've approved of me. Not because of who I am, but because of what Christ has done. And so my approval is found in Christ. So I no longer have to. So when other people reject me, a greater joy wells up in my heart because it reminds me of the approval that I have found in Christ. Or if I'm a person who tries to control everything, right? Like moving from St. Mary to St. Helen to St. Benedict, right? If I'm that guy, right? If, if I'm that person, I can go, God, this is all in your hands. I'm going to do everything that you lead me to do. I'm not going to kind of fold my hands and say, well, I'm not going to you know, spend time with my wife. I'm not going to invest in my kids. I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do everything that God leads me to do. So I'm going to work hard. I'm going to love well. I'm going to serve to a great degree. But I'm not in control. And so if my wife... God forbid, decides to ever leave me. I go, God, I am not in control. I'm going to pursue her and love her because I'm not in control, but I'm going to live out the next yes to you. And, and my kid, oh man, I love him and I invest in him and I want him to grow up in Christ and I want him to know Jesus, but I'm not in control. And so they can make decisions that break my heart and I go, God, this really hurts me pretty bad, but you're you're in control, and I can trust your control over my control because I don't know what's going to happen in the next 30 seconds, and you are making decisions that are going to have implications in the next 30 years. Or what about power? God, I'm going to have to power up. I'm going to have to control this. I'm not, I'm not going to control. I'm going to influence this people so that I can get my way and have my authority go out forth. And I go, no, 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 no. I don't have to exert power. Jesus was the most powerful being, is the most powerful being on the, in the universe. And he let himself be attached to a piece of wood by nails. Listen to me. I don't have to control everything. I don't have to exude power over anything. I don't have to look for my comfort. I don't have to seek for others' approval because in Christ I found everything that I need to live in joy and in peace. Listen, I want that for you. I want that for you. For some of you, you have circumstances, right? You have friends, roommates, lovers, parents that you either try to seek approval from, try to control, try to find comfort in, or try to power up on. Listen to me. Stop. Stop. Stop and say, Jesus, you are trying to draw me to yourself. You're trying to give me a gift. I am not going to find the joy that I'm looking for in acting out on any of these four things. I'm going to find it in Christ. Some of us are trying to do that with the work situation, business deal, interactions in the office. Jesus, I'm not going to control. I'm not going to power up. I'm not going to find comfort in. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm going to do the next yes to you. Finding my comfort, finding my approval, finding 
your control, finding your power. I'm going to find it in Christ. It's a new way. Let me tell you something. And it's narrow. Few people. You know what? People live like that for a day or two and then say, no, thank you. Thank you very much. Gracias, but no gracias. Right? We go, I am not doing that. Because it leaves us, oh my goodness, it leaves us having to depend on Jesus for everything. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that just awful? Having to depend on Jesus for everything? And yet, and yet this is exactly what God wants. But, but, but what, I'm not getting any younger. What, what, about, what if I don't get married? Shh, listen, listen, I'm in control. I got, listen, listen, beloved, do you, do you think that you could be happy with just me and not the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the thing that you think you need to be happy? Do you think that that's possible? Theoretically, we say yes. But practically, sometimes we say no. And so Jesus says, there's a narrow gate. And I want you, listen to me, I'll give you desire to walk to the gate. I'll give you the directions to the gate. Heck, Jesus says, I'll be the gate. I'll be the road that you walk on. I'll be the person that is with you. I will strengthen you and guide you every step of the way. You won't have to do a thing. Just trust me. And we go, no, you're asking too much. Jesus says, it's narrow. I want you to be in the narrow road. I want you to be in the narrow road. You know, interesting thing happened in that room, St. Helen's room. Um, There, a group of people came uh, around towards the last two days. And they were this, like, church that, like, I don't know, there was, like, flutes and pianos. That's all I heard. It was, like, flutes and pianos. Have you ever heard of, like, a flute and piano? They played some of the most beautiful music, and they played it directly under my room. It was as if... I had a personal concert from the angels. And it was a moment of worship. And I started to think of Benedict's low table. (laughs) And I started to think of this is a far better gift than I could have had. And I worshiped because he's better. If he didn't give me the music, he's better. If he didn't give me what I wanted, he's better. He's always better. But we have to decide that we're going to follow Christ, not because we want Jesus to do something for us, but because we want Jesus. That we're going to follow Jesus, not because we're going to get Jesus to do what we want him to do, but because we're going to get Jesus. And that there's no other motivation in mind. Charles Spurgeon tells an incredible story He says, uh, Charles Spurgeon was a pastor of the 19th century, and he's been dead over 100 years. He's amazing. I still cry when I read his sermons. And he told this story about a man who grew, who, who was living in a kingdom, and he grew a carrot. This carrot was, however, the most glorious carrot he ever grew in his entire life. It was huge and orange and beautiful. And so it was such a big carrot, he needed a a carriage to carry the carrot. And so he was thinking, what can I do to honor 
this carrot, this carrot is so awesome. It's not just something that you just break up and you have to do something great. So he put it on a carriage and he brought it to the king and he waited on a long line and waited to speak to the king. And in the carriage, he said, oh, king, live forever. I have never in all of my years of growing carrots have ever grown a more beautiful or more grand or more juicy looking carrot. I've never, ever grown a carrot this magnificent. I know of no other way of honoring this carrot than to give it for your service. I just want to give it to you because there's no higher honor than being at your service. So I want the carrot to be yours. Please enjoy it. It's yours. The man said, the king, he said, that is a wonderful gift. How many acres of land do you have to grow? He said, well, I have three acres. He says, I'm going to give you six. He doubled it. And so one of the officials at the court saw the interchange. And he said, if a carrot gets you double your acres, what does a horse get you? (laughs) So a few weeks later, he said, he brought in this beautiful, beautiful horse, the stallion of a horse. And he, he brought the horse and he said, oh, king, live forever. This is the greatest horse I've ever had. This horse is more powerful, faster, stronger than any other horse than I've ever had my entire life. No other horse in my stable comes anywhere close to the grandeur of this horse, and I could think of no greater honor for this horse than to be used for your service. The king looked at the horse. It was a huge, beautiful stallion of a horse. Looked at the horse, and he said, it's beautiful. Thank you. And he walked away. And as he was walking away, got towards the end of, the, of his palace, and he turned around, and he could see that the man's mouth was dropped wide open. He goes, I bet you're wondering why the guy who gave me the carrot, I doubled his acreage, and why I'm going to give you nothing. He goes, yes, I'm wondering, right? Because he just gave away a Cadillac, right? He just gave away a horse. Like, this is like, you know, this is an expensive gift. And he goes, yes. He goes, because when that man came to give me the carrot, he gave it to me. And when you came to give me the horse, you gave it to yourself. When you and I serve Christ for these ulterior motives, we serve him for ourselves. We serve him for our good. We, serve, we, go, we go, I'm giving you the horse. You better give me what I want. And God is saying, I don't play that game. I won't be a part of that. That is the broad way. I'd rather have a carrot. I'd rather have the thing that is genuinely true. And you go, but I don't have that thing that's genuinely true. I know. But I'm self-centered and I've always been self-centered. I know. But you say, I've tried to live for Christ and I don't do very well. Jesus says, I know. 
Listen to me. Listen to me. You can't do what we're talking about. For those of you who are new enough to say, you know what? That's it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to live for Jesus. My desire is going to be for Christ. I'm going to live for his fame and his glory. And every decision that I make is going to be to lift him high. For those of you who just made that decision, let me just help you a little bit. You can't and you won't succeed. And that's why. And that's why Jesus came. Today, we have palms that we're giving away. Do you have them? Wave them at me if you have them. Let me get yours. There was a time. There was a time where Jesus, it's called, we call it, it's, it's such a famous event, we call it the triumphal entry. It's what Palm Sunday is all about. Jesus, he comes into a town and the people throw palms at his feet or at the feet of the donkey that he's traveling on. And they say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. See, they had an expectation that Jesus was going to give them what they wanted. See, what they thought was their real problem, their real problem is that they were oppressed by a Roman government. And what they needed was a military leader to to rebel against the government, to liberate them from their enemy. But Jesus came in on that donkey, not to liberate them from a government, but to liberate them from sin and self-centeredness. Jesus came in. They thought, he's the Messiah. He's going to bring a heaven here on earth. And Jesus came to make those who are on earth ready for heaven. They thought that he was going to fix the problem from their enemy without. And Jesus said, I came to address the enemy within. On this day, Jesus would come and they would say, Hosanna, Hosanna, but he would not give them what they want. He gave them rather what they needed. And I submit to you that today he does the same thing and he says, you don't, listen, it's narrow and you can't do it. And I will come into your life in peace. I will come into, listen, I'll come into your broken marriage. Yeah, but the marriage hasn't changed, but your heart, your heart will. He'll come into your broken family. And you go, but look, the family's still a mess. Yes, 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 but I'm doing something inside of you. The problem is not without. The problem is within. He says, you say, Jesus, I need you to fix these financial troubles where we have so many financial woes. No, 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 I'm trying to deal with the poverty of your soul. He comes into the town, not to give them what they desire, but to give them himself. And in that, he gives them everything. You know what they said? No deal. The very same week, they screamed, crucify that guy. Crucify him. 
and the temptation will be the same for you. Listen. In my mess, Jesus can still bring me joy. In my fractured brokenness, Jesus can still give me light. In the depression of my life, Jesus can still comfort. In the moments where I find myself alone, Jesus can still come alongside. It's Jesus. And he doesn't come so that you could have Jesus plus that thing to make you happy. But it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So what does that mean for your circumstance, your situation, your life? For some of you, listen, for some of you, you're going to have to make huge decisions. But I've based my identity, I've based my life on this thing. And Jesus is going, no more. Your identity, your life is on me. And you say, but Jesus, uh, some of you, it's Jesus, I base my security. I base everything on, on what's in the bank and how much I have. And, and Jesus says, no more. It's going to be on me. Some of you, it's Jesus, I've based it on this relationship. This is the relationship that gives me identity. Jesus says, no more. There's a new relationship that will give you identity. It's me, Jesus says. It's narrow. And you won't make it. But he'll do it in you. So for those of you who don't know Christ, those of you who have never bowed your knee to Christ, you have an opportunity now. You just go, you know what, Jesus? Take me the narrow way. I don't want to go broad way. I want to go narrow way. Strengthen me. Encourage me. When I'm, distract when I'm distracted and discouraged, Encourage me and refocus me. Help me to walk along this path. Be the path that I walk on. Be the gate that I walk through. Be the strength that I have. Be the encouragement that I need. Be the step that I take. Be my all in all. That in a room without a view, I might still know joy in Christ. Listen, I want that for you. For those of you who don't know him, you can ask him to come into your heart and just simply, listen, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. I want to go through the narrow way. For those of you who do know him, it's time that you stop living off of your old gods. It's time that you put those old gods to the side as you stop trusting in control. You stop trusting in comfort. You stop trusting in approval. You stop trusting in power. And you start trusting in Christ because he is your all and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I don't control that, she might leave. Yeah, I know. If I don't power up, they're going to walk all over me, I know. And he'll give you the strength and he'll give you the ability to get through those times too. I encourage you to come to him. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know what to do with this message. It hits so many of us in so many different ways. So Lord, would you just... Lord, some of us, Lord, are afraid of the direction that you're taking us. 
Lord, would you remind us that we don't have to do it, that you can do it in us? Remind us, O oh Lord, that our strength, that our ability, that our joy, even when everything around us is so chaotic, doesn't come from our circumstances, it comes from you. Remind us, O oh God, that on Palm Sunday, you came in not to vanquish the enemy that is without, but to reside within. You've come to move into our souls. Save us from sin, hell, and death. Give us new life. Pay for our sins. Draw us to yourself and glorify yourself through us. Lord, I pray that that would be our story. I pray that we would rest in you. Lord, there's these motivations that would lead and guide us. I pray, oh God, that you would, at, at very minimum, Lord, that you would start making us aware when we're acting out of them and not out of you. And so that we could be aware of them and not deny it and argue it away, but just say no more. I want to live for Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would give us the strength, the desire, the ability to live for your glory and fame and not for our own. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Now listen, before you go, before you go, next week's Easter. Can, by the way, does anybody know the two, the two new times for Easter? What's the first one? The next one is? 12, 12, right? Yeah, 10 and 12. First one's 10, next one is 12. So now watch this. There are people in your life. We're going to start a brand new series next week. You know what the series is going to deal with? The, the series is going to deal with the foremost pressing needs that you have and how Jesus is the solution to it. Isn't that awesome? We're going to start next week with eternal life. It's the most pressing need we have, right? Who cares what happens in these 80 years, right? If we could have eternity. And so, listen, if you ask 10 people, if you ask 10 people to come to church, seven of them will say, I'll come. I'll come. But you got to ask. You got to ask. So there's a couple of things that I want you to do. Number one, I don't want you to mix next sun miss next Sunday. We're going to start a brand new series. It's probably, it's, you can't believe the creative stuff that's with this series. We got like videos and all sorts of cool stuff because we know that new people are coming. And so we're trying to make it as accessible as possible, right? So you don't want to miss it, but you don't want to come by yourself. And so if someone says, oh, but I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to make it there. You, listen, I want you to say, I'll pick you up. Let's practice that together. I'll pick you up. And you go, but I, I, I don't, I, it's so out of the way. I know. I'm coming against your comfort. I'm coming against your comfort. Don't, don't just live for your comfort. Go out of your way. Listen, because we're talking about eternity. So it's a brand new series. I don't want to try to twist your arm, but I want you to invite a ton of people. Um, if you can... If you're able, and the people that you're bringing, try to make it to the 10 a.m. service. If none of you come to this service, this room will be packed out. We know that from experience. Easter, everybody comes up. So, I mean, 
if you're bringing people, come to the service. But listen, if you're a regular, like attender and member, there may be a point where I go, hey, you guys who are regular attender, can we let our guests sit? I'm going to ask you to stand. And you could just kind of stand along the walls and listen to the message. It's going to be awesome. But we're going to put other needs ahead of our own. Okay? So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Be praying for Easter. Be praying for me. I'm praying for you. And we're going to see God do great things. So invite a ton of people, okay? God bless you. I'll see you for part one of next week. All right.